No, I get that. Okay, so best Star Wars. Uh, controversial opinion, but it's episode two of the prequels or episode three of the prequels. Okay, we might have just declared war on half the planet. <laughs> yeah. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Thinking Global podcast. My name is Kieran O'Meara, and I'm going to be your host. And today I'm joined by my co-host from the E-International Relations podcast team, Daniel McDade. Daniel McDade is an undergraduate student at the University of Warwick, currently in his second year studying philosophy, politics, and economics. Hi, Danny. Do you want to say hello to the millions of listeners? <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel McDade. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you here, man. So, before we go anywhere, don't forget to click on that little like, subscribe, or follow button, and don't forget to share it with your friends and family as far as your social media stretches. <laughs> Today I'm joined by Dr. Thelis Cajavalio. Thelis recently co-authored a piece for international relations called Lula is back on the international stage, or is he? There will be a link in the description box to this article. And this was co-written with UCL's Luis Scanoni. And so today we're going to be talking about Brazilian foreign policy and Brazil in the international order. Dr. Thales Cajavalho holds a PhD in political science from the Universidade Federal de Minas Gerais, Brazil, and was a visiting graduate student at the University of California, San Diego. His research focuses on international security and foreign policy in Latin America, and has been published in the Latin American Politics and Society Journal and the Oxford Research Encyclopedia of International Studies, among other publications. Okay. Let's do it. Hi, Thalys. Thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here, and I really thank you for this opportunity. Okay, so I'm in a bit of a Tina Turner mood, so we're going to begin nice and easy. <laughs> How would you describe Lula's foreign policy? Yeah, I think the most general answer to these questions that Brazil is back. I think, okay, this is what everyone's talking but when we, when we say that Brazil is back, we say that Brazil is returning to its traditional foreign policy in a way that since what we call the New Republic in Brazil, which is basically since the redemocratization of Brazil since the 1980s, uh, Brazil has been trying to build an image of a country with some active postures regarding issues such as human rights, uh, environment, multilateralism, and regional integration. Regional integration is even part of our constitution. I think this Brazil is back because the Brazil we saw over the last few years, especially under Bolsonaro, was very different from what we see. What we can see now is that a, a country that's once again more pragmatic in its relations with great powers, a country that defends some liberal human rights issues, a country that will defend once again gender issues in international fora, a country that will defend pro-environmental policies, a country that will defend policies to stop the climate change in the world, and that will defend multilateral fora. I think this is basically the pillars of those foreign policy. And of course, a country that will search for a greater uh, regional integration. I think these are the main points in, in Lula's foreign policy. In your article, you state that relations with other global southern states, especially from African ones, may also be different than during Lula's first presidency. Can you unpack this quote for us? Of course, it's good to hear this question because I think this is one of the main points Scanoni and I tried to highlight in our article. I think the point that Brazil is back is the most common sense and everything is talking about it, so it's not necessarily new. But I think here we have one of the key points of our, 
of, of our article, which is the following. I'm sure that Brazil will try to, to get some good relations with African states again. Although Bolsonaro left them aside in Brazilian foreign policy, we'll probably see some good relations with African states over the following years, but they will not be the same as they were before. Why? Today we see a different domestic context. The context we saw during Lula's first and second terms in the presidency, we had, for example, a very good economic situation in the country. Brazilian economy was growing, and today this is not true. We see an economic crisis in the country at least since 2014, and we still don't see a clear solution to it. We also don't have the same social and political conditions as before. For example, Lula's first presidencies, we saw some allies to his foreign policy projects in terms of getting better relations with all the southern, southern states. For example, Brazilian companies. Odebrecht, for example, which is a construction company. Odebrecht was part of the Brazilian foreign policy expansion in a way that Brazil funded projects outside the country. Odebrecht was one of the companies that executed the project. But since the Operation Car Wash that arrested several people who worked on these companies and in some cases even make these companies not exist anymore. So... There's no big companies now uh, able to support this foreign policy expansion. And at the same time, we have a political polarization inside the country. We have on one side Bolsonaro supporters, which are very radical and are always attacking Lula and the Workers' Party policy. On the other hand, we have the left-wing party, which is the Workers' Party, which is not necessarily radical. It's important for it to be clear. But there's a polarization because there is a far-right polarization in the public debate in Brazil, and foreign policy is one of the topics about it. Today, we don't have the political conditions to engage in a more expensive foreign policy as we did before. The international context is also different in a way that there is a renewed great power competition, and this great power competition also includes the actions these great powers have regarding global sovereign states. For example, China is today one of the main trade and investment partners of several African states. And it makes it harder for Brazil to build better relations with Africans because these countries no longer depend on Brazil because they already have a good relation with China, which provides them with money and something like that. What, I, what do I want to say with all of that? I want to say that Brazil can build some good relations with African states because we still have a very skillful diplomacy. But we don't have the same political and economic resources to do the same thing we, we did before. For example, we cannot engage in several cooperation projects as we did before. We will engage in some co cooperation projects. We signed, for example, a project regarding health cooperation with Angola, but we will not engage in numerous cooperation projects, for example. So we will not be able to build the same relation in the same intensity with African countries as we did before. This is the main point. We will have good relations, but not as close as we had before. So, following on from that, how does Lula's return affect Brazil's position within the international order? I think this is another very interesting point. I think I have two answers for this question. I think the, the first and most obvious question is that Brazil is back. But as I said, this is the most common sense question. In a way that Brazil is already living the isolation it got during Bolsonaro's turn. Under Bolsonaro, Brazil was highly isolated in international forum. Because Bolsonaro, first, he was himself a critic of uh, what we called globalism, and he wanted to keep Brazil a part of several multilateral initiatives because he considered them problems for the country. The fact that Brazil became more isolated, and also because Bolsonaro's environmental foreign policy, which was not so good, not to say terrible, in a way that Brazil was in the wrong way regarding what the international debates that are happening now regarding the environment. So Brazil became somehow a paria in international forum. And what Lula is making now, is doing now, is to reverse this isolation in a way that Brazil is already back in several international forums. 
for example, Lula is already trying to promote a regional integration, especially because uh, Brazil would try to project itself once again as the South American leader. So he will probably try to give Brazil once again, a role of South American leader in the international order. Second, Brazil is also back because Lula is already using his charismatic leadership to have access to some forum. For example, Lula was invited last year, even though he was not in office yet, he was invited to attend and to make a speech at the conference of the parties, and he was received there as a rock star. So... It was a very, a, a, a really very interesting. And Lula was also invited to the G7 meeting that will take place this year. And Lula already visited Joe Biden in the U.S. And he's right now in China visiting Xi Jinping. So Brazil is already being invited to meet important actors, to important fora, to be part of some important tables of negotiation. So Brazil seems to be back. And I, I also think that Lula knows Brazil seems to be back because of his leadership. And he would try to also use... Another point to leverage Brazilian action in the international forum, which is environment. Brazil is a key actor for environmental discussions. We have the largest part of the largest rainforest in the world. So people want to hear what Brazil has to say about environment. And Lula knows it. Environment is a trending topic in international forum today. Lula will probably try to use it to improve Brazilian insertion, Brazilian position within the international order. I think these are the main points of Brazilian insertion in this new international order. First, Brazil will try to insert itself as regional leader. Second, Lula will use its charisma. And third, Lula will use Brazilian, what I would call environmental capabilities, to get a better insertion in the international forum. However, the story is not as beautiful as it seems to be as it was in his first presidency. Lula is somehow... I'm afraid to say that Lula is a critic of the international order as it is now, because when we refer to a critic of the international order, people immediately think about Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro, for example. That's definitely not the case. Lula don't, doesn't want to implode the international order. But Lula wants to make some changes in order to make it somehow more democratic, according to his point of view. And this is why Brazil once tried to act as a more propositive state in a way of proposing some different rules for, for the international order, for example, a reform at the United Nations Security Council. However, I would say that this time Brazil will have problems in, a, in, in adopting a more propositive way. Why? Because of the renewed great power competition. I don't think Brazil is now in a position of proposing new rules for international forum. I think the US and China has have this position now. China is even conducting some kind of, of de-dollarization of the international order, for example. Brazil doesn't have a means to propose some kind of de-dollarization, for example. What Brazil can do is to join China in some kind of initiative about that at global level. There are limits regarding what Brazil can propose to the, this liberal order in a way that if Brazil wants to propose changes to the liberal order, it will need to join the Chinese side probably. But joining the Chinese side is also a problem for Brazil because Brazil wants to remain in the middle of the two great powers. So I think Brazil is back. Brazil will be part of the international order. Brazil will probably be in, in some important table of negotiation, but Brazil will have two options regarding this propositive action regarding the international order. Or Brazil will need to join a more reformist side, which is the case of China, and will have some problems with its relations regarding Western countries, for example. Or Brazil will need to remain less proactive than before. I don't know which of these will be the solutions. I just know that we now have a different scenario. We need to think a little bit more about how we will work our insertion towards the international order. Brazil is back. We just need to know which Brazil is back. Okay, so something that you've already hinted at, but I'd like to just 
flesh it out a little bit more, if that's okay. In what ways does Lula's foreign policy compare to Bolsonaro's? It's hard in a, and at the same time easy to compare Lula to Bolsonaro. Why? Because Bolsonaro is Lula's antithesis. That's the point. Not only Lula's antithesis. Bolsonaro was an antithesis of Brazil we have seen since the New Republic. For example, while Brazil tried to build itself as an environmental-friendly country, Bolsonaro tried to do the opposite. While Brazil tried to project itself as a country that wanted to defend human rights, to defend gender issues, for example, Bolsonaro did exactly the opposite and wanted to implement conservative foreign policy. While Brazil tried to build a huge insertion regarding multilateral fora, Bolsonaro criticized the multilateral fora. And by Brazil, I also mean Lula, because Lula was maybe the most emphatic president in all of these points I mentioned. While, for example, Lula tried to hugely advance towards uh, regional integration initiatives, Bolsonaro left UNESCO. Bolsonaro left CELAC. Bolsonaro is basically the antithesis of everything Lula represents. This is the cooperation, because what we may see now is a reversal of what Bolsonaro implemented in the country, simply because Bolsonaro was an antithesis of all the foreign policy project we're trying to implement since the redemocratization of Brazil during the 80s. So before we started recording, Danny and I were having a bit of an argument about which is the best Star Wars film. He quite likes the prequels, I'm slightly more of a purist in this regard. So I'd like to ask you, what's the best Star Wars film? <laughs> <laughs> this is a great question. Before answering your question, I just wanted to say that there is one of the Star Wars movie. I don't remember now, I think it's episode... Three, the one Palpatine becomes the leader within the Senate. Every time I watch that movie, I, I, I really think about leaders such as Bolsonaro in Brazil, such as Donald Trump. So I just wanted to make this comment because the scene that Bolsonaro, sorry, the, the scene of Palpatine, uh, Palpatine manipulating the, the, the Senate and getting the leadership for me is really interesting. But okay, my favorite Star Wars movie. I really like the sixth one. Because that end, I, I, I like happy endings. And I think that the, the end of the, the sixth movie was very, was very interesting. Like uh, people celebrating the win over the, the Empire. So it was very interesting. But at the same time, I have, a, I have one contro very controversial opinion about uh, one, one, of the, uh, one of the characters I really like from Star Wars. Because I like Jar Jar. And some people don't like, some people hate him, but, but I like Jar Jar. But I think the best movie is, for me, was the, the episode six. I would like to take this opportunity to point out that the thoughts and opinions of guests are not necessarily the thoughts and opinions of hosts, co-hosts, Thinking Global, or E-International Relations staff. And I say this specifically for the Jar Jar Binks point. <laughs> And I apologise for any mega Star Wars fans that I did not include a content warning at the beginning saying that this episode would include someone that likes Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> okay, back to Lula. In your article, you talk about Lula in connection to Prudence. Can you flesh this out a little bit for us? 
I'm also happy that this question came, especially after question about Bolsonaro, because I think that's the perfect counterpoint. So Lula is basically counterpoint to Bolsonaro, and this is why we talk about prudence, because prudence was what did not exist under Bolsonaro's foreign policy in Brazil. Bolsonaro had a hugely anti-systemic agenda. He blamed the world for part of Brazilian problems. He, for example, Bolsonaro used to say in his electoral campaign that the UN was a communist institution, and Brazil should leave the UN because it was full of communists and we should fight communism. It's important to say that Bolsonaro was elected with something like a Cold War speech by saying that we should fight communism. And most of his supporters were the people who were educated during the Brazilian military dictatorship, seeing communists as evil. So what Bolsonaro did most of the time was to capture this kind of voter. And his voters were against everything that was communist. And by saying that the UN was communist, Bolsonaro got some support from his voters. Bolsonaro and, and his minister, for example, also criticized multilateral institutions such as the UN, such as the World Health Organization, and also partners such as China. China is the largest trade partner for Brazil. And how the Ministry for Foreign Affairs can criticize the largest trade partner for a country. Ernesto Araújo, which was Lula's Bolsonaro's Minister for Foreign Affairs, lost his, his job. But the fact was that this is not prudent. Bolsonaro's foreign policy was not prudent, was not parsimonious, and it was exactly the contrary of Brazilian foreign policy most of the time, because Brazilian foreign policy is well known for being prudent, for being parsimonious, for being pragmatic. For example, over the last three decades, maybe four decades, Brazil tried to build a pragmatic policy regarding great powers. Uh, Brazil tried not to be aligned with one or the other side. Brazil wanted to be autonomous. This is a story a trade for Brazilian foreign policy. But under Bolsonaro, Brazil blindly aligned to Donald Trump in the US. This is not prudent for a country that spent years building the image of a pragmatic country. This is why we talk about prudence under Lula, because Lula represents a return to Brazilian diplomatic traditions in a way that Brazil will be once again pragmatic. Brazil will be once again rational. Just to mention one example about what am I talking about, about rationality and prudence. Brazil, since the New Republic, as I said, tried to project itself as a country that defended environmental policies, the conservation of forests, and something like that. This was not because we are altruist. This kind of foreign policy trade was not because we wanted to protect the forest. It was because of strategic interests. For example, we always knew that if we don't protect Amazon, we can lose it at any time. But uh, people can start politicizing and securitizing Amazon. So we needed to avoid it. So protecting Amazon is also part of wider security policy for Brazil in terms of foreign policy. We also know that Amazon was an important way for us to grant an international insertion for the country. Brazil was somehow isolated during part of the military dictatorship. So when Brazil became a democracy once again, we thought, okay, if we protect the environment, we will be better accepted by other actors. So let's do that. This is prudence. This is parsimony. This is pragmatism. And this was exactly what Bolsonaro refused to do. This is why we say that when Lula being back, prudence will also be back. Lula knows about all of these things. Lula knows that Brazilian foreign policy image has a reason to be. We do not defend things just because we agree. We also defend things because there are interests behind that. And Lula knows that. So this is why this is a more prudent foreign policy, a more rational foreign policy, and a more parsimonious foreign policy. So my next question is something I've just thought about, really, which is, to what extent do you think the January 8th attacks in Brazil will have an effect on the way that states view Brazil 
diplomatically or in terms of foreign policy? This is a good question. I will try to provide an answer, just to make it clear that this is still a topic which is under debate among Brazilians, so there's no consensus about it. I will just share my takes about it. First, I'm sure that the January 8 attacks influenced Brazilian diplomacy for Lula's presence. I'm sure about it. And I'm also sure it had an effect about how states view Brazil. I think most states already use it to see Brazil under Bolsonaro as a country that was passing through some political problems with far-right populist leaders, as happened in the US. So my impression is that most people already acknowledge that, okay, this is a small part of Brazilian history. Brazil will be back soon. But I think that the January 8 attacks made it even more clear in a way that people understood what was happening to Brazil. People understood that we have a leader now that is trying to reverse this kind of image and this kind of political situation inside Brazil. From it's clear that regarding Brazilian domestic politics, that Lula wants to reverse this far-right advance over the country. So, And I think I think that on, one hand, on the one hand, the world saw, okay, Brazil is not so stable as it used to be before. On the other hand, people saw that they elected a leader that can at least try to reverse it. We can support this kind of leader. It's not with no reason, for example, that immediately after Lula's electoral win, several leaders around the world uh, were quick in calling Lula to congratulate him for his win. Several people was already cautious about Brazilian electoral procedure exactly because Bolsonaro was criticizing it. Some leaders tried to, to be quick in showing support for the Brazilian electoral system. People were already looking at Brazil and expecting it to happen in Brazil. And the January 8 attacks only make it clear that we have a problem, but we are trying to work on it. You can trust, we will try to solve it. The first impression was that Brazil is not so stable, but the second impression is that we now have a leader that can try to solve this problem. We should trust him, at least at this beginning of mandate, to solve it. I think Brazil got more attention, not the attention we wanted together, but I think this can change a little bit the way other countries saw us, but it can also change how the Brazilian diplomacy would work international forum, because I think now people look at us as a country that already had this problem, a country that have something to say about this kind of domestic polarization and something like that. So maybe people will hear what Brazil has to say about it over the following years. But this is more of a speculation that something already clear because we didn't have clear evidence about it yet. Can you speak about Lula's foreign policy in relation to Latin American integration? I will start with the same answer I gave, <laughs> I gave in all, all the questions Brazil is back. I like this answer because I think that the main point about saying that Brazil is back I think that the main point that people should ask after hearing that Brazil is back is which Brazil is back? And I would try to talk a bit about which Brazil is back in terms of, of Latin American integration uh, by answering this question, because it's clear that Brazil is back, but which Brazil? Latin America is a key point for Brazilian foreign policy. Latin American integration is part of our constitution. Every president that takes office in Brazil must look to the region because it's constitutional and because, of course, it's strategic interests. This is the first point. Second point. Lula already showed he is a completely pro-regional integration. And even before taking office, in every single speech, Lula said Latin America was once again a priority. He's already acting towards these objectives. For example, uh, during his first month presidency, he already visited Alberto Fernandes in Argentina and Luis Lacalle Pou in Uruguay, which are some of the most important Brazilian neighbors. And the agenda in these two visits was, of course, regional integration initiatives and Brazilian funding for regional integration initiatives. I have concerns about whether Brazil will be able to fund regional integration initiatives and how intensively Brazil will be able to do that, but this is not the main point for this question. The fact is that Brazil is already discussing regional integration and Brazil is already acting towards regional integration. 
for example. Also during his first month, Lula reactivated Brazilian membership at the community of Latin American and Caribbean states, CELAC. And last week, he reactivated Brazilian membership at the Union of South American Nations, UNASUR, an institution that Brazil helped creating during the 2000s, but Brazil left the institution it helped creating over the past decade. Michel Temer suspended Brazilian membership over UNASUR, and Bolsonaro definitely left the institution. So Brazil is now back to UNASUR. And I think it's, that's the main point because UNASUR was dead. CELAC was not necessarily dead, but UNASUR was dead. And with Brazil and Argentina coming back to UNASUR now, maybe it can revive. I think this is one of the main points. Lula also already said that he wants to put some effort in the actions of the Amazonic Cooperation Treaty, which contains all the countries that have part of the Amazon. And he wants to give some focus on sustainable development and how to make development and environmental preservation take place among the Amazonic states. This is also good, especially because Brazil have much closer relations with its southern neighbors than with its Amazonic neighbors. We have some close relations with Amazonic neighbors, but it doesn't compare with the southern neighbors. So it's also a good initiative to think about regional integrations. Lula is already advancing towards regional integration. However, I think we still need to wait for, for the results. I think there are two points here. First, what is the Brazilian foreign policy towards Latin American integration? Brazil will support regional integration based on a, a wide range of topics, including health policy, infrastructural policy, security and defense policies. However, the limits of these policies we still need to discuss. First, because, as I mentioned before, Brazil doesn't have the same financial and political conditions to act as the absolute paymaster of the Latin American integration. Brazil would probably be the country which will mostly contribute financially, I mean, and also politically to this integration, but not the same way as before, because we don't have the same conditions. Although there is public support for international integration. I think more than 60% of the Brazilians support regional integration, but I don't think it will be the same way as before. Second, we have regional problems which we cannot solve yet. I'm talking specifically about Nicaragua and Venezuela. And it's hard to think about, for example, South American integration without Venezuela. So Lula will need to think how to deal with Nicolás Maduro's government in Venezuela and how to include it in a renewed UNASUR, for example, and how Lula can help UNASUR solving the Venezuelan problem. In the case of Nicaragua, it's also important to think because the, the situation with Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua seems far from a resolution. I, I don't think that Lula will be able to really solve it. So this is another problem. Third, there's also the problem of great powers. Great powers are, once again, looking not too much, but looking more for the last decade to Latin American states. And the situation is now different because, for example, uh, during the 2000s, when Lula negotiated greater regional integration, we were talking, for example, to Argentina, which was a country which had Brazil as its main trade partner. The situation now is different. China is the leading trade partner of Argentina, not Brazil. The conditions of our conversations changed. I really don't know the results it can bring to regional integration. I just bet that it would not be the same way as before. Okay, I talked about some problems, but there is also uh, something that can help Lula, Lula's uh, regional integration initiatives. We have once again left-wing presidents in several uh, Latin American states. And in Latin America, left-wing presidents mean a search for a greater political integration in the region, while right-wing presidents mean sometimes an increased search towards economic integration. So we have left-wing presidents in Argentina, in Chile, in Colombia, Bolivia. So we have partners to talk about regional integration. They will be open to hear us. And it's a good point that can help regional integration to happen. What I want to say with all of that. First, Brazil will try to work towards regional integration. The results of this work are somehow unpredictable yet because we don't we don't have the same political scenario as we had before. So we still need to see the results. But still, Brazil is back. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. 
So I have two questions that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. The first of these is, what is thinking global for you? I think this is a very interesting question, to be very honest. I really think that we have some difficulties to think globally. I think all of us come from studies on international relations. We often say that we are talking about international relations, but we are actually trying to think about our own countries, our own regions, our own situations. So I think the idea of thinking globally is interesting because it allows us to put several different topics together and try to understand better how, for example, how all I said over the last half an hour about Latin America, how can it apply to other regions, for example? And by having, for example, someone from another region listening to me, maybe the insights I provided here can help someone from another region to think about his or her own region. And also the contrary. We, for example, Latin Americans should hear more about what people are saying about Africa, about Asia. I think this is how we should start. We should stop thinking only regionally and should start thinking more globally. So I think the idea of think globally is very interesting. I think we should hear uh, more insights from other regions. We should hear more insights about global issues. I think that although we come from the international relations studies, I think we sometimes do not actually think globally. I think there's a problem for in, in our area. There's even a, an entire research agenda about it, the Global IR research agenda, which I also, I'm also part of it. I think this is an interesting, this is a hard question, and we need to think more about how to think globally, how to incorporate insights for different regions, and how to make the knowledge about our own countries, about our own regions, more applicable to other regions. I think this is a main point about this question. You know, this is still why I love this question, because we ask this every week and we get such different answers every single time. That's a brilliant answer. Thank you ever so much. And our last question is, if anybody listening wants to know more about Brazilian foreign policy or the topics we've discussed today, who would you recommend reading? There is Davidson Benen Lopes, Feliciano Sagmarães, Letícia Pinheiro, Carlos Milani, Carlos Aurélio Pimenta de Faria. All of them are excellent scholars, and I really think people uh, should read them uh, to know a bit more about Brazilian foreign policy. Of course, there are also uh, people from outside Brazil, for example, Sean Burgess, who is a very prominent researcher. David Maris, Harold Trinquinas have also a very interesting book, Brazil Aspiration of Power, uh, which is a very interesting reading regarding Brazilian foreign policy. Regarding Bolsonaro's foreign policy, I think there are three papers that I really like. Of course, I will start, I will start by by the self-promotion. There's a paper by myself, Davidson Lopes, and uh, Vinicius Santos at Global Studies Quarterly, which we try to discuss most of Brazilian foreign policy under Bolsonaro. Guilherme Casarões and Deborah Farias also produced very interesting pieces about Bolsonaro's foreign policy in Brazil, which is very interesting. Feliciano Sagmarães and Irma Silva also published a very interesting article at International Affairs. There's also a very interesting article Christian recently uh, published at Latin American Perspectives. There was an interesting dossier organized within the, it's called Sebre Revista in Portuguese. Very interesting sites about this beginning of Lula's third term, but we are still producing literature about it. So I, 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 I would also, of course, recommend the, the article I and Luis Canoni published at International Relations. We really try to do our best to provide readers with information about what to expect about Brazilian foreign policy, so I would also recommend it. Awesome. 
But sadly, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you ever so much, Dr. Carvalho, for coming on the podcast. Thalys, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm, that was really good. That was really, really interesting. What do you think, Daniel? Immediate thoughts. Hit me. Look at the political history of Lula. Shows how his Brazil returned to pragmatic diplomacy and step away from Bolsonaro's far-right policies, ideally meaning Brazil's return of power in international relations. However, the changes Fels highlighted from Lula's first presidency will pose challenges to this. Overall, I'm optimistic. Right, yeah, Brazil is back. <laughs> In case anybody missed that. <laughs> so here at Thinking Global, we are part of E-International Relations, the world's largest open access website for students and scholars of international relations. We have a big team here at Thinking Global. I'd like to thank Ismail Aden, Edward Curry, specifically Edward Curry for this episode, Tusharika Decker, Abigail Glynn, Nigel Huckle, Eduardo Pieroni, and Simon Hilditch. Music was also by Material Music. If you wish to read the article associated with this episode, you'll be able to find a link in the description box along with Dallas's Twitter handle. Alongside that, next to the description box is that subscribe button. Yes, I'm going to say it again. Please, please click on that subscribe button. Subscribe, follow, like, share, whatever it is. <laughs> this way you'll be able to receive content when content is uploaded, so you don't have to go looking for Thinking Global on Spotify or Apple or Google or Amazon or Audible. So the only thing left to say is thank you ever so much to Daniel McDade, my co-host, for joining me on this one. Cheers, Danny. It's been a pleasure. I've been Kieran O'Meara. I'm Daniel McDade. And we've been Thinking Thinking Global. Global. Okay, so what about The Mandalorian? Have you been watching The Mandalorian?